0: Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of First Time Outdoors. On this week's episode, Mike and I sit down to recap some of the whitetail season that we had this year. Uh, in addition to that, we also discuss the Metro Bowhunter Resource Base hunt that I participated in. We kind of lay the groundwork for what it takes to be involved in that hunt and what that might look like for any of you first timers that want to get involved. So stay tuned and enjoy the episode. Welcome back guys. Uh, we had a little bit of a week off there, had some R and R and time to reset after Thanksgiving, but we thought we'd get back at things here before the the next holiday break and, and, uh, continue on, I guess with first time outdoors. Yeah.
1: We're kind of at the sad part of the year where the whitetail season is, uh, quickly wrapping up. So uh, I think we're going to plan on talking about, uh, whitetails for the last time for the season um kind of a sad reality Although yeah my uh, my favorite time of the year my favorite hunting season uh, something i look forward to all year so uh, quickly approaching the end yep so um but that also brings up all sorts of other opportunities to talk about all all the other things that we enjoy doing so um, we've certainly focused to...
0: a lot on the whitetail uh, <laughs> right. aspect of things in archery um, yeah. which is definitely a big part of the fall but there's a lot of other things out there that I think you guys are going to be interested in and, uh, and a lot of other opportunities for people to go out and have fun so we're excited to get into some of that other stuff as well and uh, the coming seasons so for today's episode we did want to kind of do just a, a short recap of the season and and what we learned and some of the experiences we had, uh, yep. as well as, um, touch on the Metro hunt that I was involved in, uh, that wrapped up this last weekend. Uh, and I can kind of share some of my lessons and experiences, uh, for any of you that might be interested in, uh, trying that out in the future or looking for other opportunities like that. Um, so that's kind of the plan.
1: Yeah. We've had some feedback from listeners that having a podcast, episode that talks a little bit more about the opportunities with the metro bow hunt would be valuable. So, um, and it is a, it's a great resource for hunters that don't have access to their own property or, um, public land nearby or things, uh, of that nature. So, um, so let's get into it. Let's talk about the MBRB a little bit and, uh, um, maybe the process of how, Jake, you and I discovered this um, opportunity and how we went about seeking it out and deciding yeah, how we were going to do it.
0: I I can't actually recall. I think probably I found it out through you, I'm assuming. I don't remember finding out on my own accord about it. Um, I don't know. Where, where did you learn about it? Yeah,
1: I actually saw um, <clears throat> uh, a flyer on our local bow shop on their bulletin board. Oh, okay. So, um, I just like took a picture of it on my phone, and then when I thought of thought about it later, I just Googled it. I was yeah. at work or something, <laughs> I don't remember. And I was like, "Hey, this looks pretty cool. It's five bucks or whatever it is. It's five dollars, right, to um, register, and then if you're drawn, it's extra."
0: Boy, I wanted to say it was twenty bucks to get into the lottery. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's twenty. Think, but yeah, it was five yeah. bucks to
1: shoot at the range. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, of, no, to yeah, have yep, I to think it's be. twenty.
0: That's right. Yeah, um, My apologies. Which is like, you know, it's not nothing, but it's it's pretty reasonable. And I don't know what the odds. So basically, how I'll back up slightly and say that um, the process is you you pay your twenty dollars dues, and that allows you to enter the lottery, um, of which there's a bunch of different hunts throughout the metro um maybe 30 yeah i think 30 is about the number yeah um and you can rank i don't know that there's a limit you can kind of rank from first to last however many you want um i've typically done about six in the past just Mm -hmm. i think i did 15 i ranked my top 15 i don't know why yeah it's not
1: like i'm gonna get drawn for my 14th favorite yeah
0: but but there's no penalty to do that so um yeah and you can get preference points um or, or yeah, I guess points. If you don't get drawn one year, you probably get that point uh, mm-hmm. in future years so that your odds get better. So, uh, anyway, I've only done it two years now, um, but I get drawn each time. That $20, you know, I don't want to say that there's a good likelihood of getting drawn because I know there are guys that don't get drawn every year, but yeah. I don't know. I what, did not my first year. Okay. I was just gonna yeah, I don't know what the odds are if that's like a big waste, but um yeah, it's just something to consider you you may pay that twenty dollars and you may not get to hunt yeah um which would be kind of frustrating, but at least you'd get a preference point and you and you likely would the following that's, year, yeah, you know
1: yeah, yeah, and then the other <laughs> things that you're that you need to have is you, yeah, you gotta register through the. So we're talking specifically, we live in Minnesota, so the Metro bow hunt for us is the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. And so um, so when we're, we're talking MBRB, we're talking about that Metro specifically. Mm-hmm. That's all we really are familiar with, so that's what we're going to be speaking to. Um, so we have to register on the MBRB website. And then you also have to take uh, your bow hunting safety course. Yep. So that's something that's like on top of your firearm safety that I actually hadn't taken. So I took that online course and then had to take like a mini quiz. And then you get this printout that you can laminate and put it in your wallet or I kind of liked it too. It's it's
0: kind of a good, uh, uh, a lot of guys could probably, you know, get down on it and whatnot, but there's definitely things to pull out of it. Uh, Yeah. They talk about tracking a, a, a shot animal and, uh, general safety tips. Um, I think they probably get into like some behavior yeah. things and identification and yeah, just Shot good placement, especially for new people. Like that's just having that there. And I think you can, you might even be able to download the videos uh, at the lessons after you learn them just to have that as like a resource. Yeah. It's something to pay attention to. Maybe take notes. If you if you're starting from square one, you could take notes and take it seriously. And mm-hmm. that's a good resource.
1: Yeah. And then finally, the last thing that you're going to need is uh, um, proof of your shooting proficiency. So that would be uh, going to... uh, Well, first of all, on that MBRB website, you can look up places where you can have your shooting test done, Mm -hmm. where they have the paperwork that they can file with with that uh, board. So um, we... We both went at different times and shot at a local archery shop. And what you need to do is shoot five arrows and all five of them, you have five shots, all five arrows have to land in a seven inch circle Mm -hmm. to be considered proficient. And then if you're within a four inch circle, that's sharpshooter. And uh, all you need is that seven inch circle to qualify for we'll say 25 out of the 30 hunts probably. Yeah. And then the, there's a few hunts that are specific to sharpshooters, which are on smaller chunks of property that they would just want to make sure that the, that the shooters in that area are taking deer quickly and they're not running out onto roads or into people's yards or what have you. So, um, if you shoot sharpshooter status, you can apply for any of the hunts. If you're proficient, So let's say you shoot four in that four-inch circle and then you shoot one that's out of that four-inch circle and it's still in the seven, then you're proficient. You can still register for all those other ones that aren't sharpshooters. So you have all sorts of opportunities still. So it feels a little bit, whenever I've shot for this in the last two years, it feels a little like there's pressure. But if you're shooting often and practicing, that shouldn't really be too much of a... um, challenge
0: yeah and even regarding that pressure uh you can um you can reshoot like the following day yeah or you maybe have to take a a delay of a day or something i think it's a day but there's essentially if you plan ahead uh you can get that you can test yourself multiple times um i'm sort of a late a late planner so i typically tend to be doing it like the day before the meeting yeah the day you, have you, to bring n- you the need paperwork. to bring the paperwork yeah. so uh, it is that it's a little self-imposed pressure on myself um <laughs> yeah. but if you yeah. uh, if you plan ahead there shouldn't be too much pressure um so yeah it's definitely something doable yeah
1: and that's the five dollar charge i was thinking of is that that, that uh, the bow shop where we shoot uh they charge five dollars to for the target that you're shooting at and then to register your information. Yeah, to supervise so, it. Yeah. So twenty five dollars yep. is kind of your all in on top of your tags for your deer tags for Minnesota.
0: Yep. And uh you know that again, that can be a lot for some people, um, but the, another way to think about it is most hunts have a three day two three day periods. So you're getting really six days of hunting if the weather's good, Um, so twenty five bucks over six full days if you want them. Yeah, that's not too bad. Yeah, Uh, obviously there's no guarantee to get a a deer, but yeah, that's part of it. It's 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 cheap entertainment. Yeah, it's not one set. It's it's six days. Yeah, so that's something to consider. So let's talk about how,
1: like, the thought process that you and I went through to decide which which uh, hunts we wanted to put our names in the lottery for specifically.
0: Yeah. Um, I think in the first year, I I didn't really know any of the parks, to be honest. I've never, I haven't spent a lot of time walking through them. I'm not from the metro originally, so I don't have like a, a good sense of what, how they all lay out. And I think I just kind of looked at places that were kind of between my house and my place of work. Um, and, and mostly like that was part one and part two was the dates and how they lined yeah. up and what I was available for. Yeah. Um, and so I, it was kind of a blending of those two factors was the biggest part for me. And, you know, I was able to find a couple, a couple hunts that like would work. I could meet the orientation meeting, which we'll touch on here in a second. And, uh, you know, the location would work fine and the dates overlapped. Uh, all the other sort of habitat stuff, and that's that became that was more secondary, more than yeah. I wanted it to be. Right. Um, well, they
1: wouldn't have a hunt there if there wasn't deer, yeah, in that chunk of land. So yep. you kind of have, I kind of just banked on that.
0: Yeah, I just kind of rolled the dice uh, yeah. in some ways, but the other factors you can look into, and in, and in things that we did, I, you know, certainly did play a role. Were like hunter numbers. Uh, mm-hmm. they show you how many hunters they're going to accept from each group. Some are really large. Yeah. Uh, I think one there's on the West Metro, it's there's like a lot. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of hunters, but it's a huge like 2000 acres of mm-hmm. uh, property. Yeah.
1: Um I have a friend that hunted that okay. this last 2 years.
0: And others, I think the one that you applied for the first year was 3 hunters. Yeah. Um so super yeah, was. small. Uh, and I think your logic there was like, well, a lot of people aren't going to there's going to be less people applying to that, and mm. maybe there's a chance I'll be one of them. Um, yeah. Yeah. And
1: for that one, too, it was, uh, <clears throat> for that one, it was, uh, what I was thinking about in that case was that the, it was further on the outskirts of the metro area. So I thought, you know, a lot of there's going to be less hunters willing to drive that far out of like the ring of suburbs. But then it was also, uh, Basically right across the street from the house I grew up. Mm-hmm. It was a, like a small grass airport that um, my my parents have constant deer that are coming through their backyard that are calling that chunk of land home. And I've seen so many big bucks show up in their backyard. And I was like, oh, this would be really cool to get a chance to hunt that. And then to um, I actually didn't get drawn, but I was an alternate. Mm -hmm. So sometimes they'll draw an alternate and then, uh, they didn't have great success the first weekend. So then I got a phone call to come hunt that second weekend. And unfortunately I had, already had made commitments for that weekend and I wasn't able to, to go, but, um, it was really cool to have an opportunity, even though I didn't get to go in there, but to be able to hunt land that, uh, I've been looking at since, I was little and I actually used to when I was really young, go like traipsing in there mm-hmm. all the time and like play and stuff. So, um, that's a really cool opportunity that you wouldn't get otherwise. Like those places won't just, you can't like call up the airport and say, can I hunt here? Yeah. You've got to go through this MBRB in order to get in there. So it's cool.
0: It's yeah. Just... Yeah. That's sweet. Um, yeah. So hunter numbers, um, feel like any familiarity you might have with an area like that spot that you, you kind of knew. Uh, there's probably other listeners out there that have a sp- that been to regional parks and things that are maybe on the list. It's, I've seen deer in there and mm-hmm. people, you know, park users that walk by, they see oh, there's always deer around the area. And so if you know some of that stuff, that might inform your decision making. Uh, that wasn't the case for myself. But um, yeah, overall size of the, the parks, um, that could play a role. And just any web scouting you might want to do looking on aerial maps and things at habitat all those factors can play a role um, but at the end of the day it's a lottery system so you want to rank a few different varieties being you know maybe your top five picks and uh, yeah roll the dice hopefully hopefully you get drawn at that point. So this year we both were able to get drawn for. I think our first choice park. Yeah,
1: called, and we um, decided to do it together. Mm-hmm. Make sure that we were applying for the same hunts and prioritizing them. Yeah. The same way.
0: Yeah, uh, just to make it kind of, just to add another fun hunt that we could do together. Yeah. Um, we don't. This year we got out a lot together. <laughs> the the prior, yeah. previous year we only had really Ripley, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you know maybe not too much more. We did than one that, public
1: but, land hunt last year. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you know. but it was, yeah, that was kind of the thought. And, and we both got drawn, um, for it. And so after you get drawn, um, uh, you'll get an email and at that point you need to have your proficiency done and your, all your safety things done. And there's an orientation meeting that uh, happens. Yeah. And it's and, mandatory. Yeah. And and this will kind of dovetail into some part of my perspective of this program generally is that it's not going to be for everybody. Um, it's do because of the nature of the hunt because it's in densely urban populated areas mm. with kids running around and park users that will, um, you know, walk past signs saying the park's closed yeah. and whatnot. It's very heavily regulated. Yeah. They want you following all sorts of rules that are over and above mm-hmm. the Minnesota standard, the DNR, you know, rules. Yeah. Um, I think it's like, you have to abide by the DNR rules first, then, uh, then the park, then the, then the county's rules, the park, uh, commission from the county, Mm -hmm. and then the MBRB's rules, which are more specific. Yeah. So I, you hear a lot of grumblings from people that there's a lot of things that are frustrating about that. You're, you know, you can't, you can't, hang your stand any higher than 20 feet, but you have to be higher than 12. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't shoot a deer anything over 20 yards. Um, there's just a, a whole laundry list of rules that, you know, maybe wouldn't apply to your typical situation, but they have reasons for all of them. And, um, that's just part of it. So you learn all that stuff at the orientation meeting. Um, it's, it's kind of a longer meeting and, uh, it's very detailed. Yeah. Um, uh, but again, if you go into it with an open mind, um, you know, things will, you'll be able to pull things away from that in a positive way. Like you can, you can definitely learn some things. Mm-hmm. They show you a video on how to shoot, like shot placement and things. That's, that's helpful. Um, yeah. They're, they're all, it's an organization filled of bow hunters. So if you have open ears and whatnot, you can learn some techniques. You can yeah. get advice from people if you want to pick brain, pick the brains of the coordinators. And so,
1: yeah, that was actually what, when you were talking, it kind of sparked that memory of the hunt coordinator from the the hunt at that airport when we were talking and I told him I was an alternate and he was like, well, do you have access to other land? And I said, no, that's why I'm doing this MBRB hunt where I registered for it. And he then just gave me a, Huge, um, like dearth of knowledge of like, there's some little-known public land over in this area, and I've hunted it in the last five years and shot a lot of deer in there. Nobody knows about it, and he just gave me all this information that I used. And that was actually the public land that you and I went mm-hmm. to, Jake, and you could see there was deer sign everywhere. So at the very least, it's a really great way to meet other people, like you say, and get tips and some inside information or just kind of increase your network of, um, hunting peers and mentors and, um, like elders, yeah. you know, there's just, there's so many other cool things about it. That's definitely worth your time to check out.
0: It's being a part of a network uh, of people, which is something we want to focus on here at first time outdoors. And, um, that's just another group of people that are dedicated to a similar cause. And, um, yeah, so, it's cool, for sure. It's yeah. cool. So that's pretty much it. Um, at the meeting, you you meet the rest of your hunters that are going to be involved in your area. You sort of choose generally where you're going to hunt. And uh, then you wait until your, your dates show up. Um, at each hunt, they, they require you to show up at a certain time and sign in your name and all that. They want to make sure that you're uh, safe and everybody's accounted for so that they kind of have a check in and out right of each period, which is another one of those things that's kind of like, you know, they've, they're, it's really highly regulated, but again, it's for your benefit. Um, so yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. So you just kind of wait for your time and, and, uh, wait for some deer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, I didn't actually do this hunt. I, I've had to back out. Um, I had, uh, realized that I had spread myself far too thin this fall. So um, I kind of had to prioritize what hunts I wanted to do and what weekends I wanted to be gone. And I ended up deciding to back out of this one. Mm -hmm. So I was really disappointed about it because it was a lost opportunity to hunt a cool chunk of property and hunt with you, Jake. But uh, it was fun to Keep up with the hunt through you through through you with like sending texts like what's going on how's how's the hunt going yeah what are you seeing that kind of thing so and you ended up doing all right
0: so. yeah yeah it was fun um, so the first weekend um, well I'll back up slightly the I can kind of talk generally about how the hunt set up um, there was a small section of woods that the The public there's like a nice paved trail through that um with some evergreen trees and whatnot and and then some swamps to both sides um of that little wooded area and then there's a a big gap and then another section of land um that a lot of the other hunters were going to hunt so i ended up being the only hunter in the small section of woods by the public trail yeah Um, it's kind
1: of wedged between a development of houses Mm -hmm. and uh like a park with baseball fields and uh playground and things like that
0: yep so looking at a map it was kind of one of the more it was like a distinct wooded area with evergreen trees uh with some swamp edges but so that seemed good that seemed like a good spot to put your stand easy access in and out of um but very clearly, like, if you're going to see people and there's going to be activity, it's going to be in this spot. Yeah. Uh, So it was kind of a gamble. But I decided to go in there. um, And yeah, it's it's kind of a frustrating thing. But uh, essentially, you get one day to set up your stand. The day prior to the hunt, you go in at a certain time and uh, hang your stand. So and they don't give you a ton of time to do that. So it's kind of like, you know, maybe an hour or so, and you're not supposed to scout, um, you're not supposed to scout the park and whatnot and look for things prior to the hunt. So when you go in, that was my first time going in that Thursday. Um, so I kind of quick did like a, let's move fast and, and try to see what I can see, find some, see if I can see any rubs or droppings or trails of any sort. Um, and I found a few, but because you're limited in terms of space, it's hard to find a good tree. Like, okay, so you see some sign. Well, there's no, there's no big enough, not big enough trees in the area, so mm-hmm. you can't shoot. And and again, back to the rules, they only allow you to shoot uh, 20 yards and in, which I'm not going to shoot much over 20 anyway. But you have to just make sure that you're within that vicinity, and you also have to be at least 20 to 30 yards off of any trails they don't want people to yeah like see yeah walking trail, yeah Mm -hmm. any trails that the public might use Mm -hmm. um so that limits you can kind of imagine these factors being limiting if you find some rubs or some interesting sign but it's pretty close to a trail well you can't really set up over that Mm -hmm. um so anyway i've found both years it being somewhat of a kind of frantic uh stand setup of like you know hustling around trying to be quiet but also trying to find sign and, and then hanging up in a good way. You can't cut any shooting lanes. You can't do anything like that. So it's kind of fun, It's kind of hard to find that, that perfect setup. If you had all day or a weekend on private yeah. land, you might really get to take your time and pick apart a, a corner of a property or something, cut a couple shooting lanes, get your sand in the perfect spot. Um, so that's one frustration i've had with the hunt is just like it's hard to get in there and feel confident because Mm -hmm. because you also are committing uh to at least that first period so both hunts i've done has been two three day periods so you can't really move your stand once you've set up so you're kind of like oh i'm gonna put it here and then i'm gonna sit for three days Mm -hmm. and maybe it's not a good spot yeah (laughs) you know so that's there's some pressure there to to try to find the right spot. Anyway, uh, this year I was walking through the woods and I, I kind of walked up close to this marshy swamp edge and trying to, you know, just walking quietly. And all of a sudden I looked up and two does were bedded in the swamp, probably 15 yards from me looking right at me. So this is in the e- the evening or, this afternoon is, uh, or hanging af- in the stand? Yep. Afternoon of Thursday. Um, the you know the day prior to the the start of the hunt, and so these two does jumped and ran off, and so I was like, oh okay, well, I know that they bedded right there. Let's get close to the swamp edge. Um, so I picked a, a pine tree which I've never I don't think I've ever hunted out of first time, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, climbed way up in there, and it was a kind of a perfect setup. The height that I got that I was able to reach there was a clearing in the tree. Um, maybe somebody had hunted out of it in a prior year and and cut some branches out because it was just like a nice little nook up in there. Uh, but I did have a lot of cover directly underneath my stands. The branches were extending out, so they did block a lot of my shooting lanes, but it provided a ton of cover. I could probably move a lot and nothing would see me up there. So I had just a great view, uh, sitting over this big swamp. Um, so, yeah, that's where I decided to um, spend my hunt, up in this pine tree, uh, over this swamp. And I spent the next two days there um, pretty uneventfully, you know, not seeing a whole lot, th- that being Friday and Saturday. Uh, one interesting little thing happened on Friday night. Uh, it was pretty sweet. I was looking across this big swamp, and there was a little bit of a peninsula, uh, maybe th- probably 300 yards away, 350 yards away. And hadn't seen anything all day. And I saw a doe and probably a fawn come out of this section of woods. And it was getting toward, you know, toward last light. I pulled out my binoculars and just started watching them. I was like, oh, a couple deer. They're Mm -hmm. way out of my range. They're not coming toward me, but it's fun to see something. And Maybe a minute after I saw them, I saw a nice buck. I think a six-point buck hop out of another part of the woods, and I just couldn't help but thinking. I was like, "There should be a hunter over there." Like, just the way that I could see it setting up mm-hmm. on the edge of these, this oak um, little oak grove, and then there's a really nice clearing on a marsh. I'm like, "There's got to be somebody over there." But these deer were hanging out for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. I'm like, "Well, maybe there's not," and I turned. Um, in just sort of a Hail Mary moment I thought I'd grab my rattling antlers, just try to bang them super loud and maybe he'd hear them maybe he'd start working his way my way, mm-hmm. who knows you know, I had nothing else going on and as I grabbed them I turned around and I saw their tails go up and they ran off into the woods and I thought I heard maybe a maybe a bow go off I was like maybe somebody did shoot one you know, it's crazy and Turns out, as I left the woods that night, um, some one of the guys texted out that he ended up shooting two deer, mm-hmm. and it, it turned out that it was uh, one of the guys in my group, and I did watch him shoot uh, at least the buck. Mm-hmm. You know, he shot the buck, and the doe hung around um, after the shot, and he was able to shoot the the doe as well, so pretty crazy. I've never yeah. seen somebody hunting, that, and he didn't know that I knew that he was there. <laughs> like, yeah. It's just this weird, like... <laughs> weird scenario where I was able to kind of see it all go down. Um, so that was kind of fun, but Sunday things, uh, turned around for me in a cool way. Um, it was the afternoon, um, probably about two o'clock and I saw a little bit of movement, uh, probably like 80 yards to my left. Um, and I brought my binoculars up and sure enough, I caught I think two, potentially three, but definitely two does were bedded down about 80 yards to my uh, left in this swamp. And the frustrating part, as I mentioned before, about my stand setup was that I was right over—I was pretty close to a public trail, and there had been people all weekend in that park talking on cell phones at the at, with a full voice yelling at their dogs. I had a a young family taking pictures with their kid, their little toddler. And they were, you know, talking baby talk and yelling. And the kid was screaming and just like, I'm never going to see a deer, Mm -hmm. you know, but these deer were bedded and I was watching them and they were just like every so often just looking at the trail and they were fine. They were just hanging out there Mm -hmm. and these ladies would walk through on their cell phones and they weren't getting scared. Um, so that was kind of a, like a refreshing, like interesting thing about this, these Metro hunts and maybe even just more populated areas that anybody might hunt. Like they, the deer know where they're safe and they're not necessarily in the next County just because there's some activity going on. Yeah. Uh, eventually they, th- though they did get startled by something. Uh, they jumped out of their beds and started running pretty much right toward me uh, and I, you know, this this is those moments where your heart just starts racing. It's like, oh, it's going to happen right now. Uh, I, I quick grab my bow, attach my release, and they s- slowed to a trot. And they just slowed up, and they were probably 40 yards directly in front of me. So as I mentioned, I was blocked in by all these branches, but they were directly in front of me in my only spot that I could really see them or have a shot. But they were 40 to 50 yards away. And I had been watching them for about an hour when they were bedded, um, which was pretty cool. And then they proceeded to hang out for about another hour right in front of me, just sort of munching on uh, branches and milling around, looking back every time people would walk through, just looking. And I just couldn't help but think, like, there's no way that they're going to make it toward me, especially with all this activity with park users, why would they go toward the noise? Mm-hmm. I just had this feeling, I'm like, well they're just gonna walk off or they're gonna walk deeper into the swamp because why would they? Um and I was starting to lose light. I probably had about thirty minutes left of shooting light. I think it you know it was about sunset time. Uh so it starts to get toward that gray light a little bit and sure enough they just kept walking away from me, uh down, you know, kind of paralleling the, the wood line. And I texted my wife. I said, well, I just watched two deer for about, you know, two hours and they're walking away. So I think that's all she wrote. And my wife responded. She said, well, just keep a positive attitude. You never know. And right after she sent that, I saw the the lead doe and she was still walking off and I had lost track of the second one. I was Like, where's that second one? They were together the whole time. And then I started hearing this like, shh. And I looked back where I wasn't expecting it, and that deer had button hooked and started walking right toward, like right back toward me. She mm-hmm. had, she was probably fifty yards beyond me, <laughs> and she turned around and just started walking right back toward me. Uh, so I'm like, oh, wow, this is gonna happen. Oh my gosh, she's, you know, I, I known that I was sitting kind of on an uh, entrance to the swamp. There was a trail down to my right. So I was like, she probably is going to come up to that trail. Um, and then the, the second doe, which was originally the lead doe, she had turned as well. So she was she was following. So they were both maybe 50 or 60 yards apart, but they were walking towards me now. And she got within 20 yards and I drew where she was covered up with my, with branches and I didn't have a shot. Um, because she was down to my right, and there was branches all over the place. I, I didn't have any shot, and I thought, you know, if she goes to that trail that I expect she's going to, I'm not going to be able to shoot her. But I don't know what to do. I'm dr- I'm drawn at this point, mm-hmm. and I suppose people probably exaggerate like how long they hold. <laughs> hold yeah, cause it feels like an eternity. Yeah, but I, it felt like probably you know well over a minute. Probably I don't know. Could have been could have been more could have been up to like two minutes but it was a long time i was starting to get a little bit shaky a little bit nervous like what am i gonna do um and she because she was just she was coming but she was very slowly just kind of plodding along and she stopped at about 15 14 15 yards and for some reason she took two or three steps to her right and just turned broadside like there's no reason she was at the doorstep of that trail Mm -hmm. going into the woods and instead of getting on it she just turned and walked continued into the swamp and just walked to her right uh, which provided a broadside shot and i took it and hit her like i knew i hit her solidly but i immediately knew that i hit her like way back um and i had a really sinking feeling like oh no that was a bad shot kind of Pretty much hit her like Mm -hmm. mid-body. Definitely not behind the shoulder where you've been practicing. And uh, She did a quick hop off and she started walking almost immediately. She didn't run. Um, And I was trying to grab for my quiver to try to grab another arrow. Because I figured, okay, I shot her at like 15 yards or less. I know they don't want you taking long shots, but I figured I'm going to shoot her. She's at 40 yards or so right now. I'm going to shoot her again to try to put her down because that shot was not good. And then she stumbled. And I was like, what? And she stumbled once and she fell over. It was just like, I couldn't believe it. Mm -hmm. I I really thought I gut shot her, essentially, and that she was going to be gone and it was going to be a nightmare, essentially. But she dropped it about, she probably made it 20 yards from That's where amazing. I shot her. 15 to 20 yards. She died faster than any deer I've shot so far. And I shot her. It was the worst shot. Well, not the worst shot. My first one was the worst <laughs> shot. But it was a bad shot. Um, so, yeah, it was incredible. She just dropped and I she, I didn't hear any crashing or anything. She just fell in some tall grass. I watched her for a little while and uh, knew that she was down and what was really wild is the second deer bounded off a little ways and she ended up doing this sort of wide circle kind of near that where the other one went down and she worked her way back toward me again for a second time toward the woods and at this point i've got like maybe five minutes left of shooting light and i knocked another arrow i was like she might come back and sure enough light was fading and she came right underneath my tree and then she proceeded to walk out directly to my lighted knock and start sniffing it like broadside mm-hmm. same shot um unfortunately she took her time to get there a little bit and it was a couple like probably two minutes after legal shooting light and mm-hmm. um just didn't have the opportunity to shoot shoot her but it was crazy. I couldn't believe how long these deer had been in my sights and how many, like how they were giving me those opportunities. It was just like, (laughs) yeah, I don't know. I had never experienced that where they were just lingering and and kind of willing me to shoot them. (laughs) Like they were just (laughs) right there. Yeah. They, They had every excuse to go other places. Uh, and yet they were right in front of my tree at 15 yards so pretty crazy i uh waited for it to get a little darker that deer didn't really she didn't want to move too much and so i finally just turned on my headlamp and started to break down it was past legal Mm -hmm. it was the last night of the hunt so there was no concern about like you know the following day blowing deer out of there or anything i was like well i'm just gonna start getting down and uh yeah my coordinator met me and helped me uh, gut everything. And yeah, it was my first doe that I shot. Um, found out during the the processing of the of the deer that I basically shot her d- directly in the liver, passed mm-hmm. through center of the liver. Yeah,
1: which usually isn't a shot that would take a deer down super fast.
0: Yeah, i had never heard of that. Um, <laughs> but yeah. it was, it imma- it was, it was cool to see. I, um, uh, it almost looked like a paper tuning. My broadhead was like, you could see the three blades mm-hmm. directly through the, directly through the liver. Yeah. So that was kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, so I knew like there wasn't, I didn't hit anything else. I didn't hit the heart, didn't hit the lungs, mm-hmm. just solidly in the liver. So I don't know what that means. Definitely not gonna like try to shoot it in the liver. Yeah, but (laughs) yeah, but it was just an interesting case where like it did work. I don't know why, but it it, she lost a lot of blood really fast. Mm -hmm. I think the liver must you know processes blood. It must just yeah, must be a lot in there at times. Maybe there's maybe there are times where it's it has less blood in it. I have no idea. Talk to a doctor, somebody who knows more than me. But yeah anyway, I got, I got bailed out for sure. Yeah. So.
1: And then the second weekend couple was last weekend, right? Yep.
0: So then I went back out, um, had my, minis- my main tag left over. Uh, I knew there was probably some bucks in the area, but I, again, I didn't care if I saw another doe, I would, uh, I would take it. And that was a quiet weekend. Uh, we got some snow in between the hunt periods. So it, it was kind of interesting to go out there and I did another quick recon of, of the area, and found some trails and actually two beds in a different spot. That so I moved my stand and I set up over those, thinking that hey, uh, this might be a different transition area. There's some beds in here, and I didn't see much for tracks in my previous spot mm-hmm. in the snow. So I moved, and uh, had two days of two and a half days of of no, absolutely nothing um, didn't hear a deer or see one. Uh, again, plenty of park users were in. And, uh, for the evening of the last day, I decided to move. I got permission from the coordinator and, and moved back to my original tree. Um, didn't see anything. It was just completely quiet. Um, I think I, we didn't really have many hunters in the group, uh, participating at that time. It was cold and it had been a long hunt and it's mid December now. So, um, yeah, it was just kind of a slow weekend. and But it gave me a lot of time to kind of think about what a fun fall I've had. Yeah. That's basically what I found myself doing in the stand. It was just like thinking back on all the cool things I've done this year, all the new things and the new things I've learned. Um, I think it's probably going to be my last wh- uh, whitetail slash big game hunting of the year. There's a chance I'll go up maybe one more day. At some other point, um, but with the holidays coming up and and whatnot, I'm probably gonna be done. Might go to Wisconsin in uh, sometime in January, if uh, yeah, if the chips fall right. But mm-hmm. I'm I'm I guess I'm also okay with being done uh, with with big game this year. I yeah. had a lot of crazy experiences and it's been a long season. That's something I thought about. Mm-hmm. Um, my. I've never hunted in December. Never hunted past early actually past early November. So, I legitimately hunted from end of September to mid December, which mm-hmm. is long for me. Yeah. And I spent a lot of time in the stand and in a lot of different areas and mm-hmm. it was pretty cool. P- pretty great season. I think you did too. <laughs> yeah. Was this the first year you had shot
1: two deer? Yep. In one season. Yep. Yeah double the the yield for the year gonna have a lot more creative ways to find uh to cook the deer up and prepare it and stuff so i think we'll plan on maybe sharing some of those experiences too with maybe new recipes that we've tried or yeah uh different approaches to preparing it so
0: yeah that was something uh we'll yeah again we'll get into some other day um but it was something fun about having two uh, two deer this year was that I was able to sort of yeah have a lot more variety of how I s- froze them you know I I kept one with a lot of roasts and steaks and whole muscle groups and then I did a lot of burger and uh, took some to a local shop and got some sausages done and brats and yeah so we're gonna have I actually just picked all that stuff up today and my freezer is full so yeah it's, it's, I'm excited to get into all that stuff but yeah yeah, it was a great time, it was a great season. Um again just I was blessed to have a lot of opportunities to see new things uh, from in you know starting off in Idaho and really testing myself and uh spending a lot of great time with you in the Whitetail Woods. You know, having great success. Uh, I was able to harvest a nice buck this year um and a nice doe put in a lot of time and got lucky and, um, that, that they showed up. So yeah. it was just a fun, fun year. And I can, I was, I was thinking in the tree that, okay, so it's mid December, you're going to take a little bit of time off here, but especially like the training part of Idaho, like I was shooting a lot in the summer and, and had my mind on that, you know, that's already like, it's a half a year away. Yeah. Right? If you started in June. Yeah, the training part of it.
1: Yeah, like yeah.
0: It, to to get ready for next year. It's only a half a year away mm-hmm. for the whole hunting season. It's it, it was interesting cuz I've I guess I've historically thought of the hunting season as being like for some reason I you know, October and no, of mid-October to early November. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's just like a month. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, it's not. It's 3 months. Um 4 months yeah so plenty of time to do fun stuff out there
1: yeah I think
0: you know it is always
1: kind of a bittersweet time like mid December for me because it's like on one hand it's like I don't really want to hunt when it's that cold because it's can sometimes be miserable but also you just don't want to give it up because it's it's really the only place that I that I have found where I can completely center myself and just be completely quiet and get away from it all. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, fishing can do that for me in some ways, and ice fishing is kind of less so, because, I mean, we'll get into ice fishing at some point, but it it's cold, and it's kind of noisy, generators running, and people playing music, and, you know, it's just it's not as pristine and serene. So, um, it's, it's hard to sometimes let that hunting season go. There's a lot of years where you mentioned that you had never hunted in December. There's a lot of years where I'm like hunting on new year's Eve just cause I need to get one more, <laughs> Yeah. one more in, or I've got a tag still to fill and I'm like being stubborn and not giving up. Sure, um, but I think I will get a couple more in, uh, I'd like to go see what that property in Wisconsin looks like now that there's absolutely no leaves on the trees and there's snow on the ground. It's going to completely look different. And That's I think true. to try to figure out where the deer are moving now, because they're going to be related to food primarily. So are there any areas on that property where they are frequenting for food? I've got ai got to guess. But I wanna check on that, so I wanna go in there and take a look at what's going on now that it's winter and get a hunt in December and hopefully into January too so um I do have two more tags to fill i don't I don't need more meat by any means, so um there's been some people that I've talked to that have not had success this year and are looking for some venison and then also the the property owner asked for some so it'd be nice to have one more, mm-hmm. uh, one more to, to give out to people. So, um, yeah. And then um, I, I, uh, I think we should also just mention quickly. I've, I've had a few people, uh, reach out to me and thank you for reaching out, uh, with questions about, um, things that maybe have come up in our podcast. And I, I had a listener send me a note asking about, Winter hunting, like cold weather bow hunting. How do you do that? Because um, this person is a new hunter and they have primarily fall gear. And so, how do you how do you hunt in a in a manner that's stationary, while also dressing warm enough, but then also not so bulky that you have range of motion. That's a, that it's a real challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. I think quickly of what I'll just say is that make sure that you have a really good base layer. Like if you're going to spend money on some, some aspect of your clothing for late season, I would put a lot of money on, uh, on your base layer. So a good pair of leggings and, and a, and a long sleeve shirt. Um,
0: and I'll just say specifically about that. Uh, I got turned on to Merino wool as a fabric, mm-hmm. uh, which I didn't know anything about maybe a year or two ago. And I, it is absolutely a game changer. Yeah. Like it is so warm and light and comfortable. Um, look in the Merino wool. Essentially it pulls away moisture from your body. That's all you really need to mm-hmm. know. And and that moisture doesn't, isn't allowed to cool your body once yeah. it gets cold. Yeah, uh, So that's just a big thing. So that's, yeah, you know, smart wool socks and merino wool underlayers, that'll yep. go a long way to keep yeah. you warm.
1: Yeah. And then, so after, so we're talking about the my legs, so I have the, my leggings and then a pair of like sweatpants that I've um, like run through the wash to make them scent free. And then I wear a pair of bibs and the bibs are really handy because it keeps any wind from blowing up your back, which is really what makes you cold. And then, um, top layer, I'll have, uh, my, my thermal layer and then like a long sleeve t-shirt and then some sort of like either a wind barrier, like I have a wind barrier sweater that is awesome. Keeps me really warm or a good vest, like a thin wool vest is what I wear. Um, because it doesn't add any bulk to my arms so I can still draw a bow back and I don't have to worry about the string hitting my sleeve of my jacket, um, but it's keeping my core warm enough.
0: Mm.
1: And then I wear a parka. And then the game changer for me is a fleece neck warmer, like a neck gaiter. That makes all the difference. If I don't have that neck gaiter, I get cold fast. So mm-hmm. having something really warmer on my neck and my face and then a stocking cap. And then I, uh, I have a, Quite an inventory of hand warmers mm-hmm. that I go through in the winter that I've, you know, all stuffed down, like, I like have them on my lower back. I'll put them in my, my, uh, my muff where I, um, like keep my hands and then, uh, I'll even put them on the, like the back of my neck in my boots. And, uh, the, it actually really works well to put the hand warmers on the back of your hands too. Mm-hmm. Cause that's where like all of your you know, your blood is running through the back of your hand. So putting your hand warmers there and then a good pair of boots. Mm-hmm. Um, I wear snow boots like Sorel snow boots in the winter time and they're clunky. And, uh, that just means you gotta be, you know, climbing up the tree safely and hunting in places that, uh, aren't precarious to get into. So, Um, that would be my feedback. And then also make sure that your, your draw weight is at a poundage that you can pull back when you're cold. Mm, Cause that, that's, that's a problem I used to run into. I used to, I set my bow now at 62 pounds and I used to hunt at 70. And I actually, there was one time I was, I was probably in high school, like a senior in high school or so. And, uh, it was like five degrees out and like this time of year and I was hunting and a deer came in, and I was like so stiff and cold because I, you know, you kind of like hunched up, and your shoulders are constantly shrugged. And then I just couldn't pull the bow back; mm-hmm. couldn't do it anymore. Um, I was just too cold, too stiff. So it might be a good di- idea to just dial your draw weight back a little bit, or just lower it in general. Yep. Um, so that'd be the feedback that I would give. Or the tips that I would give in that case. Yeah, I, um, I
0: tried uh, two new things. Well, one new thing this year, uh, but you know, there's certainly room for another. Uh, I brought each morning. I'd fill up my thermos of coffee that I'd, I I don't like to bring coffee in the stand, but I would drink that coffee on the way, mm-hmm. and I'd use all the remaining hot water that I boil uh, for my French press, and I put that in a just boiling water in a thermos. And I brought that in my stand mm-hmm. just with water and like that isn't going to necessarily warm you, uh, from the core nec- or you know what I mean? Like it's not going to be long lasting, but it's nice to have like some hot water or yeah. if you want to do cider or tea or yeah. uh, coffee, uh, do all that. And you know, there are, again, I don't like, I don't like to eat a lot in the stand, um, snacks and things. I, Think because I don't know too much, I'm like probably a little paranoid about scent, yeah. But like, I could totally see you know, having a thermos of tomato soup or some you know, some soup that you could just like sip on Mm -hmm. to keep you warm too. That would be nice, especially if you're in a blind or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, having a little bit of a like the hand warmers, like you say, that that goes a long way. Yeah, it's a pretty easy solution to bring something to be a little more comfortable. You take a little pressure off the late season hunt. I suppose, yeah, yeah. Just kind of, you're out there in the snow and the cold. Like, give yourself a little break. Sometimes mm-hmm. you don't need to be killing yourself out there. Right, and um, don't try to be too tough. You know, yeah. If you get cold, just you know, just go back. Yeah, and you know? the deer, they're going to be either moving or they're not. It's not because you, you know, didn't have. I don't know. Not because they could smell a little tomato soup or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm guessing. Yeah, uh, and I think um, for me.
1: I would like to just poll our audience, our listeners and it. I'm looking for a better alternative to my footwear in the late season. Mm. So if you're an experienced hunter or, um, maybe this is your first year and you've got a good set of boots that you have been really happy with cold weather wise, let me know. Cause I yeah. haven't found any, which is why I go with my Sorel boots. Yeah. Um, but they're not, they're not great hunting boots. They're like not scent free and they're kind of heavy and, so i'm always looking for an alternative so let me know if you found something out there that's warm and uh lightweight and like a good warm late season hunting boot for deer hunting let me know because i'm in the market <laughs> for sure
0: christmas so, is coming up
1: that's right so like we mentioned we're in we're into winter there's all sorts of winter stuff that we're going to be trying to cover um in uh, towards the end of december into january and february you can look forward to us talking about ice fishing um, winter trout season opens in january yep so talking about that um, talking about snowshoeing cross-country skiing all these different things that uh, should be getting you outside in the in the cold winter months yep so
0: there's a what's the saying there's only there's not bad weather there's just bad clothes and bad attitudes or something like that. (laughs) Uh, And that's something that I definitely feel like, you know, uh, I guess I'll speak to my family specifically. They tend to be a little bit scroogey about the winter, which is totally, you know, it's totally fine. Like I can, I can get that way too. Like it's hard to get out and get motivated to get outside. Um, When it's right now, I think it's negative five out. Um, But having said that there's tons of things to do. Um, uh, we live in the state of hockey. There's just tons of stuff to do outside. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really is about having a good attitude and bundling up and getting out and experiencing the winter. Uh, it's a super peaceful time outside. Um, yeah, it's a great time to be outside. There's a lot to, a lot to go find and see. So yeah, we're, we're excited to get into some new activities and, uh, bring on some guests to kind of let us know how to get involved in some new Um, things for the first time uh, in the winter season. So, so
1: this wraps up our whitetail adventures for the season. Um, Hopefully you'd learn something from this as, as we uh, learned quite a bit this year as well. So um, please give us any feedback or any questions or um, share stories with us from this past season. Uh, It's, it's another great way to get through the winter as well as to hear all these stories and think about all these experiences and maybe even start thinking about new gear and things that you're gonna start 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 start, uh, adding to your arsenal for the next season so um, yeah you can get a hold of us once again we're on Facebook for Time outdoors Instagram first time outdoors and then um, you can email Jake at first time outdoors Mike at first time outdoors com. so um, please get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, if there's any topics that you would like us to cover or you are curious about, let us know. We can, we can, uh, we're interested in learning all sorts of new things as well and excited to do, uh, do some research on that, those new topics as well. So, um, thank you for listening. Uh, happy holidays, and we'll see you next week.
0: Take care.